Hello and welcome to Trust Issues. Um, Jack is away in San Francisco this week, so um, it's just the three of us. We've got uh, Rory joining us today, who's our Hello. social media coordinator, and Zach, the uh, editor-in-chief. So Hello. we're uh, all here without Jack, so hopefully this might run a bit smoother. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll bit see. Weird, but yeah. No, I am, I am obviously joking. Um, there's not actually been, there's, so there's been some stuff that's happened in the last few days. It seems to have a lot of been, you know, a lot of it's been sort of financial stuff, so I suppose we'll start with some of that but um you know it seems like we've had quite a busy couple of weeks and it's starting to settle a little bit um at least sort of um less busy mm. i guess so should we start with uh, bank of england yeah absolutely I feel, like, I feel like you're do you want to give us a little bit of background on the bank of england stuff what's been going on guilt markets guilt have, markets. have sort of uh, reared their head again which very exciting stuff isn't it guilt markets yeah um I sort of switch off whenever i hear guilt markets. yeah i can tell completely. you start staring vacantly into the distance. Yeah. Um, yeah, so very quick prime on what a gilt market is. Gilts are how uh, the government borrows money, essentially. And they issue bits of paper that say, you know, if you give us a thousand pounds, we'll give you a thousand pounds in 10 years time. But in the meantime, we'll pay you a little bit bits of interest. Um, the thing that happened in gilt markets recently, a couple of weeks ago, was after Quasi Quarteng announced that so-called mini fiscal event or mini budget, um, <coughs> The financial markets got spooked and they decided they actually didn't want to lend money to um, the UK government. And what happens then, obviously, is if no one is buying gilts, no one is borrowing, uh, no one is lending their money um, to the UK government, the borrowing costs go up really steeply. So that's what happened in financial markets a couple of weeks ago. The Bank of England was forced to intervene because, well, A, obviously, there was this increase in borrowing costs, which was really putting the government's finances under strain, but more specifically, there was this sort of doom loop occurring in pension funds, in private pension funds. And the finance of this are really, really complicated, so I don't think it's really worth going into the details, but the sort of broad overview is that modern pension funds, ones that are privately managed, um, use these complicated financial instruments called derivatives to essentially hedge their losses to make sure they can't lose too much money um, when the, the price of bonds, price of gilts goes down, which is what a lot of their portfolio is composed of. And no one really under, no one really foresaw what was going to happen. But basically, when the price of bonds started really collapsing really fast because of some complicated little niche, well, some complicated sort of effect of these derivatives, pension funds had to start finding cash um, to meet what's called a margin call. And the way that they found that cash was by selling more bonds. So the problem here was that bond prices were going down. That was forcing pension funds to find cash, and they were finding cash by selling more bonds, which was pushing bond prices down even further. And because pension funds play such an oversized role in the wider gilt market, this was creating a, a doom loop in the, the whole gilt market. So it was pushing government borrowing costs way up, pushing bond prices way down. Um, the, the main thing you really need to understand here is it was just a negative feedback loop. So mm. it was just that you know every iteration things were getting worse, um, and the. The Bank of England stepped in and started buying gilts to essentially just stop this negative feedback loop dead in its tracks. Um, and there, there are two ways of seeing this. One, you can just see it as a sort of isolated incident. You know, this is just private pension funds fiddling around with complicated financial issues they didn't really understand and they got burned. The other way of seeing this is, is a symptom of more systematic risk, which is that a lot of the financial markets, a lot of the financial plumbing, a lot of financial institutions have been playing around with really, really complicated derivative instruments and really, really complicated financial instruments for a very, very long time. And while they've been playing around with this, there's just been this sort of baked in assumption that 
interest rates and inflation are going to remain low as they have done since about 2008. And as interest rates and inflation kick up, as they are at the moment, we're going to see a whole load more of these very, very complicated financial systems come under some strain. Um, essentially because A, the people who are running these institutions don't really understand the derivatives that they're playing with. I mean, that's just what happened in 2008. Mm. Um, and it's clearly what happened with pension funds more recently. These are just really, really complicated things and no one understands the systematic risks. But B, because in the background of all this, there was this baked in assumption that as it happened for the past decade or so, interest rates and inflation were going to remain low. Um, and as that has changed, it's just made everything go a bit funky and no one really knows what's going to happen. So, yeah, that's essentially what's happened. So we've had some instability with um, with gilt, gilt markets a, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. So the Bank of England eventually had to intervene. Yeah, intervene, bought gilt, stopped this negative feedback loop. Um, worryingly for the government, uh, the again, more in the last couple of days, gilt prices have gone back mm. up. Um, well, um, gilt yields have gone back up, so people aren't willing to lend money to the government again um, and that's again no one really knows precisely why it is it's probably a combination of two things one the markets still don't have faith in Liz Truss and Quasi Quarteng which is understandable but um, two it could also be we could be seeing another sort of pension fund thing some sort of weird financial quirk um, that's creating some sort of feedback loop that's pushing uh, gilt yields up and gilt mm. prices down um, this is what I was talking about a second ago. Like you don't know, this is basically the whole financial system is coming under stress and no one really knows what sort of feedback loops and what sort of mechanisms that's going to kick off. Uh, so it could be a com combination of genuine drop in market confidence in the UK government. You know, it could genuinely be that investors are just a bit wary of quasi quarting Liz Trust, but it could also be something like what happened with pension funds a couple of weeks ago. It could sort of be some weird quirk of the financial system yeah. as it currently stands playing up and pushing bond yields higher. Well, you know, while we're on this topic and, and we're, we're saying about, you know, it seems that the markets aren't responding well to Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng. Do you think that his um, upcoming supply side reforms um, that he's supposedly going to be announcing on Halloween, so 31st of this month, do you think this is going to help the situation? Do you think it's going to sort of ease some of the, the, the pressures or do you think it's not going to make much difference? Well, you want to you come in here then? Um, I'm going to assume it's not going to not going to help very much but that might just be me being pessimistic um but uh yeah the problem i have i have no idea what it's going to do with financial markets but i know that i know that when the country see cuts to public spending they are probably going to look at it unfavorably especially going into winter with you know things like the nhs um yeah. i can see the political impact being pretty major but in terms of the market impact i I don't really know. Well, honest. I think it's probably worth just going through some of the um, the background to this. So it was uh, originally announced that he'd be making this um, this sort of uh, the announcement of these spending cuts mm. sort of mid-November. Yeah, twenty third of November. I yeah, twenty to be. But then obviously the political pressure following you know the last couple of weeks and the yeah. turmoil that's been created, he wants to try and sort of stabilise things a little bit. So he yeah. brought that forward to the thirty first of October. Um, it's been suggested by the IFS that he's going to have to cut about £62 billion from public expenditure. Um, you know, Paul Johnson, who's the director of the IFS, has said that spending cuts on this scale would be extraordinarily hard to achieve, partly because clearly we've seen 12 years of very tight um, spending control, so there's not a lot of fat to cut. Um, so obviously £62 billion is a huge amount. Now, I, we've sort of spoken about um, the fact that it's about £60 billion that... Uh, 
is being borrowed in order to pay energy companies to sort of maintain, or it's expected that it will be about 60 billion to, to maintain a two and a half thousand pound energy price cap. Mm -hmm. And when I've brought this up in the past, I've always tried to say, you know, it's about 37 billion pounds spent on Tesla Trace, just to put it into some context. Yeah. So um, just again, for a little bit more context, the military spending in the UK, so for military is 48 billion pounds, they need to cut 62. So you'd have to cut the equivalent of more than our military spending. Yeah. The NHS has a sort of, uh, uh, this year, 22, 23, has about 190 billion pounds. That's, that's its sort of operating cost, 190 billion pounds. Again, if you say they've got to cut 62 billion pounds, it's a huge amount of cuts. Um, so I'm sort of suspect that he's not going to get near that figure at the end of this month. I suspect that he probably won't be cutting that amount because I just don't think there's that much to cut. Um, I know that there's sort of talk about, and I know that this is sort of a niche interest of yours, which is the NHS and sort of bureaucracy. I know that there's some sort of talk about NHS bureaucracy maybe being able to cut that without maybe cutting as much of, um, you know, it, it, its like outcomes and, and things. Exactly. Yeah. But I still think 60 is a huge, huge no. amount. And so... Do you, th do you think that he's going to get near that figure in terms of the cuts at the end of the month? And, you know, wh where's he getting, where's he going to get this from? Um, so I think it's worth, so the short answer is no. I think you're right. There's just no way you can find 62 billion quid sort of squirreled away yeah. here and there. Um, I think it's important to separate out the, the current, the, the coming, whatever it's called, medium term fiscal plan into two parts. There's going to be the spending cuts and there's also going to be what's called the supply side reforms. Oh, so there's sort of more major policy changes that, trust and quarting hope will stimulate growth so the spending cuts will essentially be like austerity 2.0 you know there's some rumors about where it's going to go people think they're going to cut benefits a little bit people also think they're going to cut it's called capital investment um which would be contrary to their stated project of stimulating growth but you've got to find the money somewhere i mm. guess um but we'll find out where they're trying to find the cuts when they announce it no one really knows but yeah i think rory was right to point out that whatever happens is gonna be really unpopular you know you, you there's just there's just not that much fiscal space left in the uk public services you know you can't really cut the nhs much further than you already have i mean that's very apparent in terms of waiting times which are already at like you know yeah. all-time highs um and other maybe potential areas for cutting like for example the military is just politically not possible yeah. obviously we're in a war in ukraine but also trust promised to raise military spending to three percent of gdp which is about double what you mentioned um so yeah i think but that is by the end of the decade isn't it yeah sure but you, you can see Just how she can't start cutting no, it now and say don't worry i'm gonna raise it double it by the end of the decade but yeah separate into two things spending cuts and supply side reform so what i think is going to happen is you're going to see some sort of minor nonetheless politically controversial spending yeah. cuts they're not going to come to 62 billion quid it's going to sort of be fiddling around with benefits you know some more austerity maybe with the health services apparently a big cut to education which again wouldn't be very popular education spending has been essentially stagnant since mm. since blair left office really per pupil uh, jumped a bit in the johnson years but it's been pretty pretty low um and then you're going to see these supply side reforms which are going to include stuff like housing reform um maybe some sort of an energy infrastructure investment plan which i think trust and quarting will claim will increase growth to the extent that it will cover the remaining shortfall um so you'll have some of it done by spending cuts and some of it done by the by, essentially by this planned stimulation of growth via supply side reforms more structural reforms to the economy um yeah i think yeah, go on. Okay, well, I was just, just going to say that if, if, if this is right and if we're all sort of in agreement that they're not going to be able to make that amount of spending cuts, then surely what's, you know, what's, what's going to happen is that the media are going to come back with, the IFS said you've got to make this amount of cuts. You haven't made 
the you know the, the requisite um, amount of cuts and their whole plan to sort of steady the ship sort of thing by saying no we are we are you know this, we're trying to you know do supply side reforms are trying to sort of steady the markets that that that's going to sort of not work as well as they're hoping especially because people are going to come back and just it's fascinating so you're right basically they're caught between the markets and the mm. public because if you want to steady the ship you know if you want to appease the markets you need to cut spending massively you need to balance the budgets very very quickly um but if you want to essentially stay on side with the public essentially just not really irritate people then you can't engage in that sort of massive austerity. There's just not the political space for it. So they really are caught between the markets yeah. and the public. And there's this hysterical irony in the fact that these are supposed to be the sort of business-minded, exactly. far-right, libertarian wing of the Conservative Party, but they're the ones being bullied by the markets. The mar you know, They might love the markets, but the markets really don't like them. I have a degree of sympathy for the fact that they have to try and appease those two things, but it's amazing that they're trying to, at the minute, their plan is to let both sides down. Like they're not gonna. Yeah. They're not gonna do yeah. the amount of cuts that will, you know, satisfy the markets. And no matter what cuts they do, they're gonna, it's going to upset the public. So it seems that they're just going to upset everybody. Everybody's going to be upset by the end of this month. No yeah. one's going to be happy. Mm. Let's all just, you know, no, get on on board with with that fact. It is amazing. And actually, you know what's really fascinating is it actually harks back to a. Um, it harks back to something Jeremy Corbyn and John McDonnell were really worried about. Mm. So Jeremy Corbyn and John McDonnell back in the 2017 days they were wary that the markets were going to respond very badly. And they had this whole plan about essentially just ignoring the markets. It's known as fiscal dominance. And it's really, really, it's both odd and funny to see essentially yes. trust and quarting faced with the same, same thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's weird because, again, this is a sort of, uh, 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 almost a tangent, but it is weird how many of the slogans that were used against Labour in the last seven, eight, nine years Coalition of Chaos, for example. But the other one, which was quite good, was about um, 20, either 17 or 19, when they're saying about the, under Jeremy Corbyn, energy bills will rise to 2,000 pounds. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which was, um, it's sort of a, a, a bit of irony, but it's just, a, it's a strange situation. But anyway, I feel like we should probably move on from the financial yeah, stuff. Yeah, quite, yeah. this is quite technical. technical. Yeah. Exactly. So shall we move on? Shall we move on to solar farms? Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's, that, that will spice things up a bit. Yeah. Yeah, so um, Liz Truss was previously the uh, Environment Secretary back in 2014, and um, she sort of, uh, I'm going to go a bit tabloid here, that's when she started her war on solar panels. Wow. Okay. Yeah, there we go. Um, so she, she described them as a blight on the landscape, she sort of doubled down in, um, in the leadership campaign saying that she wanted to try and get rid of onshore uh, solar panels. Um, and it seems that there, uh, the, the, it's been reported today that she's going to try and ban uh, solar panels from about 40% of the land in England. So this would mainly be, as I say, on, on, on farms in England. Um, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting point from her at the minute, especially with uh, the whole energy crisis and all this and sort of trying to move to renewables for, yeah. for banning. What, what's, your, what's your take on this? Is this going to go down? She, I presume this is not going to go down well at all. With she's the joining the anti-growth coalition by... Go banning solar farms on lots of land, obviously. Solar farms um, on farms. Yeah, you solar, farms, solar farms. farms on farms. Um, I mean, when you say, you know, will it go down well, like, I mean, at a very, very local level, you know, there are MPs who are constantly, like, opposing developments of solar farms and things, and, you know, they'll enjoy that. But when you look at the wider picture, you know, we're trying to achieve net zero. We need to improve our energy security. Solar farms are a great way of doing that. And if, yeah. you're, if you're saying, actually, this vast amount of land, we're not going to allow solar farms to be built on, it's not a great way to, to kind of achieve that goal. I feel like I'll, I'll try and be fair to her and say that I did hear in the leadership 
election say that she wants to see them on roofs or something yeah. like that and saying that that's just a better place for them um but i don't know how much of a defense yeah. that really is and i mean there's a whole thing with solar farms on farmland and and, and one of the their kind of justifications for this is that they want to make use of every available bit of uh kind of prime farmland to produce food um but you know if you have a field of sheep for example you can put solar panels up there and have the sheep grazing around them like it's not like a one using, or the other using your farm expertise yeah exactly there. yeah they should get me on board but <laughs> yeah it's um i don't actually know whether this will be something they do go through with because it was reported as you know ministers want to do this and this might be one of those things where it goes out into the press people kind of don't really react too well to it and then it never ends up happening but we'll see i think unless you have something to say i think i just want to build this into a bigger picture about yeah. government unity at the minute is there anything that you want to add on the solar panel point oh the only thing i'll say is that what well, i think it's funny about this is it goes to show like how ideologically confused the apparent ideologues are mm. like it's half the time it's sort of like hyper free market you know do anything the state shouldn't get involved yeah and now it's solar farms can't be built on farms and ban cannabis like it's a real yeah. policy tombola coming out of the <laughs> tombola, i like that yeah um yeah so we'll move on to the cannabis things i think this again builds into this wider point of sort of ideology and the just lack of coherent government communication strategy so suella braverman who is the home secretary at the minute uh, it was suggested that she wants to move uh, cannabis from um, uh, uh, grade B to a uh, class B to a class A drug. Um, it's quite interesting because uh, weeds actually move sort of up and down between A, B, C in the last 10, 15 years under various home secretaries. So she wants to try and, you know, as in keeping with her um, ideology of just being harsh, uh, <laughs> she wants to uh, move that up to uh, class A. Yeah. Um, and then number 10 came back and said there's no plans to move that up to, to class A. And I suppose this sort of just builds into the fact that they, the, the, the cabinet ministers at the minute just seem to be saying what they think and just saying, you know, what, whatever they, whatever they, you know, what they would do as prime minister. Yeah. And aren't really worried about sort of government unity, yeah. cohesion, and nothing like this that. This is the kind of thing you would expect to see in the kind of final days of a government where everyone's kind of actually doing a mini leadership campaign. But mm. four weeks in to have, you know, Suella, Suella Braverman, for example, um, I've got a whole list of things she's said recently uh, that kind of go against what the government wants to do. Uh, so when the government or when Liz Truss, you turned on the abolition of the 45% top tax rate, she described that as disappointing, saying she didn't want to do that. When... You know, there is meant to be collective cabinet responsibility. You're meant to stick yes. with what your government decides to do. Um, it's just really strange that we're so soon, so early on in Liz Truss's premiership that already her allies effectively are just making quite public do what you, they actually think. Do you think the part of it is as well? Because I saw that she was in an interview with, I think it was, it was Koonsberg recently that uh, Liz Truss was, was, was being interviewed by. And she was asked about the U-turn on the top rate of tax and saying, who did you discuss this with? Uh, did you discuss this with cabinet and she semi pushed the chancellor under the bus but said that was like a decision by the chancellor yeah. do you reckon it's because cabinet are feeling like they're not they're not getting a say in policies like that and that they're just going to go out if they're not going to get a say they're going to go out and, and and say what they think do you think that that's what? probably do you think it's just that they know that she doesn't have much yeah. authority like what why, why is this sort of government why, why are ministers now feeling that they're able to just do whatever what's what where where's this sort of come from i think it's actually just simpler than that I think what you're seeing is Suella Braverman is just clearly running, not even a very covert, she's just running her own leadership campaign now. It's the same thing that Trust did under Bojo for a while, you know, like Trust was running an implicit leadership campaign mm. for a while under Bojo. She would often 
come out as the hardliner when Bojo did some of his more sort of like liberal stuff. And I think this is just the same thing. Like clearly she thinks that trust isn't going to last and she's preparing herself for the, the imminent leadership campaign and to make her pitch. I suppose it also isn't made easier by the fact that the government does... I Well, they've U-turned and it seems like they're going to make further U-turns. There's been some suggestions about yeah, a number of different policies. That cabinet minister might say could within days be you know quite quickly out of date. But I suppose you can play the technicality of if you're against a U-turn, you're still for a previous government policy. So I suppose the confusion in the government's yeah. own policies makes it easier to be rebellious because you'll be, you know, you'd be backing a government yeah. decision at one point, no matter if you're for or against a policy. Um, yeah, so it all just seems very confusing at the minute, and this sort of builds back into the point that we've been making over the last few weeks that this government is not good with their <laughs> communication strategy. Um, Okay, so I think we should probably move on to Labour at the minute because they are still massively ahead in the polls. They seem to be, you know, if there's an election tomorrow, it seems like they pretty much wipe the Tories, mm -hmm. um, wipe the Tories out completely. Um, so it seems today that they've been sort of restructuring, getting ready for a, an on the, put themselves on an election footing. Um, Rory, do you want to sort of just run us through what that actually means? Or yeah, well. Uh I'm not a Labour insider, so I can't tell you all the details, but, but it is quite yeah, clear that... Yeah, when you've been sort of moonlighting yeah. in the, the, the Labour Yeah, Labour HQ. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's quite clear that they are thinking the government could fall at any point. And, yeah. uh, you know, I think anyone can see that possibly happening. And um, they don't really want to be caught out, you know. Uh, I think Keir Starmer's had this multi-year vision of, of, of how we'll go into the next election, thinking, you know, we've got to establish his authority over the party then we'll start you know drip feeding policies in the run-up to an election and then you know because you don't want to go too hard with loads of policies years out from an election but it's looking more and more likely that we could end up with an election before uh what may 2024 um so they obviously want to be ready for that but um it would take conservative mps voting down yes. a, i don't know a budget or just in a vote of no confidence um, which I, you know, I don't think is going to happen because they can see that a vast majority of them might lose their job. Well, Andrew Marr seems to think that the 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 sort of rebellious backbench Tory MPs are giving her until the local elections next year. And if she does badly in that, then they'll try and present an alternative candidate and basically cripple her government um, mm. through a vote of no confidence. Uh, it's similar to what happened with I think they were they were trying to model it on Michael Howard in the early 2000s but yeah it's quite a boring side note <laughs> um, yeah but yeah uh, Zach um, yeah I mean I think Roy's, Roy's just right isn't it that the, okay. they, <laughs> they probably were planning for a 2024 election and now they've got to get all their stuff in order because I, I still think it's very unlikely I mean you can't yeah. really see then voting down a budget in the next couple of months. Like if it was going to be, if, they, if essentially if the government was going to collapse and we were going to see an election, you'd imagine it happening after something like the local elections you're mentioning. You know, you the Tories would never allow themselves to fall into an accidental election with mm. the polling looking as it does. You know, they'd probably get Liz Truss out of the way first and then... So if you had, to, so do you think that they would, it would look better to the electorate if they stuck with Truss, assuming she continues being the kind of leader that she has been in the last few weeks, or do you think that it's worth risking that extra instability to have a fresh candidate who might be able to boost the polls again? So I suppose that's the question on most Tory backbenchers' minds at the minute, is that sort of risk-reward of switching leaders. Do we bring in Michael Gove or do we keep Liz Truss in? I think, I think, A, it makes more sense from their perspective. I think Truss is uniquely unpopular and the poll numbers don't show any signs of improving. Um, and maybe it's a bit too early to say, but as things stand, that's what it looks like. 
Um, and B, I think that they will get rid of her before they call a general election. I think Tory MPs just can't stomach these sort of poll numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that if they think a general election is on the horizon, they'll just they'll get her gone nice and quickly. But yeah. to get rid of another Conservative Prime Minister, like it yeah. just show, like but they're not the country just will see them as. Well, they already do see them. Yeah, as like, exactly. But they, they'll, they'll see them yeah. as chaotic, but they're already seen as chaotic. And instead so of being led by more, a crazy you know, person, yeah. they'll be led by Michael Gove, who's just sort of a boring, safe pair of what, Why is Michael Gove the... Oh, yeah, he's not actually a good example. I was yeah. going to say, I, I, I think he's heard anything about Michael scheming Gove. behind, yeah. you know, doing, I mean, I manoeuvres, feel like but he's I don't spent his adult life scheming. I feel like yeah. that is sort of Michael Gove's sort of default hobby is just scheming. Yeah. Um, it's not really worked out for him, bless him, but, you know, maybe one Michael there. I think he's a bit harsh. Yeah, um, yeah, that was quite harsh. I don't know why I was so harsh. <laughs> You're normally quite a friendly bloke. I, that was, yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's just all of the Boris Johnson backstabbing stuff. Yeah. Sort of, yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah, no, I think I think they would get rid of her before before Gemma Lex. If they do, I, sorry, this is a, a my interesting to some people, but okay. probably very boring we'll to others. Um, if she if she was ousted before the next election, she'd only be the second Conservative leader. Uh, since Chamberlain to have uh, been leader and not face an election the only other one would have been Ian Duncan Smith uh, that is a good little fact yeah, but good. we could end on that fact that yeah. I uh, know well, that was the that was the plan <laughs> okay. oh, right. we'll let people decide yeah. whether that was, that was a good one to end way. or not yeah, yeah. As I say, um, well, Jack's back next week, so I'm sure the the hosting will be smoother next week. Yeah. Maybe uh, something so, yeah. will have happened as well. We'll see. Yeah, next week. Well, anyway, thank you both for joining. We'll do this again right. at the end of the week, and then Jack's yeah. back next week. Um, so yeah, nice. <laughs> Thanks again. <laughs> see you later, thank you, friend. <laughs>